Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Well, there's other things that you need to be aware about, but just check Facebook out if you don't mind, or you can ask other leadership. But I really want to get to the Word. We're going to worship some more in just a moment and, and begin our fast with, the, with communion as we do every year. We'll end our fast in, in, in 21 days on Sunday with, with um, communion. But something that God started dealing with me last year, in the fourth quarter of last year, God just kept planting this Word in my mind, and I think you probably saw it even in my terminology, about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and in particular about building the kingdom of God. We are here, we, when you're saved, you become part of the kingdom of God. Uh, you, you, you become a, a believer, a follower. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. That'll make a little bit more sense. But from there, we are here. We're here for the purpose of expanding, of building, of extending, of strengthening the kingdom of God. The only way that we can do that, be kingdom builders, if you would, the only way we can do that is we have to be strong. We're only as strong as our weakest link, the weakest link in a chain or a weakest brick in a, blo- in a wall, a block. We're only as strong. And, and the idea of this message series is to cause you as an individual, there's no judgment in what I'm about to preach today in the sense that I'm not judging anybody's walk with God. I'm that 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 let the word and the Holy Spirit be open to the word and the Holy Spirit to challenge you though. But the only way we are going to be effective as Bear Creek Assembly of God for such a time as this, for the place and the position that God has placed us in, the only way that we are going to be able to fulfill that will and purpose of God upon our lives is if we are strong in our own walk with God. It may, we, we are an organism, not an organization, but we're only as strong as our weakest member. And so this series that we're looking at, I called it uh, the, A Disciple's Way or Disciple's Way of Life. I struggled with the title. I wanted to call it The Kingdom Way. But the reality of it is, the kingdom is made up of individuals, you and I. And it's really the way that God has called you and I to walk in this world. To walk in the life that He's given you. Whatever that path is, He's taking you down. These are the principles, no matter what it is. No matter if you're called to to be in the business world, you're called to be in the hospitality world, you're called to be in the ministry, whatever that call is, is, these are the principles that are going to make you strong and through you God's kingdom should be and I believe will be expanded, built upon, strengthened. So, we're going to start today by looking at what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Now, typically when we read this scripture, we read it from the standpoint of this is what we are supposed to go and do. We will get to that in the weeks to come. What I want to focus on really is what Jesus is calling us to be in this scripture and the word description that he uses to describe those who truly are followers. So if you would, follow along. Let me pray. I need to pray. We didn't open up with service of prayer. That's on me. I meant to do that when I jumped up here and gave um, accolades um, to Miss Charlotte. But let's just pray. Father God, you, Lord, we have worshipped you. We've come before you, God. We have put our praise and our worship, Lord, literally on demonstration for you. Not for others, God. Not to impress those around us. But God, for you. Lord, I do. I pray, God, right now, your anointing rests upon me. Lord, let it not be me. Lord, let it be you speaking through me. I'm just the instrument. I'm just the tool. I'm just, God, the, the, the person you are speaking through today, God. But just as important, God, please, don't let this be me wasting my wind and my breath today. God, give the people the ears, God, to hear what you're calling us to and challenge us with that, Lord. That when we walk away from here today, we'll know that we not only live, met with the living God, but Lord, that you have challenged us, Father, and there's things that we need to do to change our lives, to line up with what you called us to do. Grant that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, and he's speaking to his 
Who here is disciple? All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, because of this, he's saying, I've got the authority to do this. So therefore, I'm telling you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as we look at this scripture, like I said to open up with, we often looked at this as this is the Great Commission, and God is sending us out there to make disciples. And that is definitely part of our existence. That's the major part of our existence, why he saves us, so that we can go and we can advance the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice who he's talking to here. He's talking to his disciples and what he's telling us to go make. He's not telling us to go make believers. He's saying, you are a disciple, you are a disciple, and I am calling you to go and for you to make disciples. There's the word difference there is disciple, and he does not say believers. So for the purpose of this series, so we understand because in the church East world, in the language that we use, we use words like follower, and I'm a believer, and and, of course, disciple, and there's other terms to be used. But I want to get back to the basics of what Christ is trying to imply with what he's telling us to do. And it begins by understanding the difference between a believer and a follower, a believer and a disciple. And so for the purposes, a believer is someone who, who intellectually hears the message that Christ of Christ in the Word. They hear it, and they agree with the truths of the Bible. And they may even occasionally feel close to Jesus. And this is not a judgmental statement. This is a definition for the purpose of what I believe Christ is telling us in this scripture. A disciple is someone who says yes to Jesus. Okay, there again, I've heard the message. I believe the truth of the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, but then desires to go further with him in that relationship. Someone who decides to go all in, as we like to say, with Jesus. A disciple is so overwhelmed by the truth of the word or the message that they've heard. They may not even have a Bible. They just float into church some days. You invite them. They come. They may listen to it on TV, on the radio. They hear the message, and they're so overwhelmed with the truth of the message and the reality that God is, exists and is everything and is everywhere, that now they decide that their life is going to revolve around the truth of the Word of God and the calling that God has placed on their life. Now, I didn't plan to preach like this. I thought it would be a little bit more casual, but there's just something about the anointing of God that makes you kind of get out of your character a little bit. I guess it's the shirt. I wanted to start the year off bright this year bright this year we love it when people say yes to the message of the gospel i love it when when people come and they raise their hand or they come to this altar and and and, and they they say yes i now believe in jesus because we all start off as believers don't we we all start off as non-believers sometime in your life you were not saved it's hard to fathom that i look at my life growing up in a preacher's home and and basically birthed in the church. Um, and, and I can't think of a day, I cannot remember a day where I wasn't saved. I don't have that aha moment. I have several moments where I went down to the altar because that's what a preacher's kid did. And that's what we did back then in Pentecost. Every time you heard the message, you felt conviction. You were lost. You were going to hell, whether it was true or not. And you came to the altar and you got saved all over again. How many of y'all been saved multiple times in your lifetime? Come on, people. You know what I'm talking about. So I don't, but there was a time that I was unsaved. There was a time that you were unsaved, but you heard the message and the Holy Spirit tugged at your heart. Conviction came upon you and you said a prayer. You, you raised your hand and you received Christ. You became a believer. But what God is calling us to do is go beyond being a believer in Jesus, a believer in the message. And he's calling us to become a disciple in Christ. He wants us to move from being a believer to being a disciple. And that's the purpose of this series for the next couple of weeks, is for us to look what it means. Look at what does it really mean to be a disciple in every aspect of life, and then move in our lives from those areas that maybe are not lining up with God's 
discipleship plan for us and move closer into that relationship with Him. Because look, there is a difference between a believer and a disciple. In this book, I've read, read a book, got a book by um, Dennis Rouse. It, the title of the book is 10 Qualities That Move You From Believer to Disciple. Some of this is loosely based on this book. And this is what he lists. I didn't list them up here, but these, here's a few examples. A believer believes Jesus is their Savior, but lives to please themselves. That's a believer. But a disciple believes in Jesus as their Lord and says that they live their life to please God and not themselves. There's a difference between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. Many times a believer exalts their opinions, their feelings and thoughts above the Word of God. If it feels good, do it. Doesn't matter. God's grace is sufficient. It'll cover my... And we live from that perspective. Where a, a disciple rather exalts the Word of God above their feelings, opinions, and thoughts. In other words, God's, God's Word is greater than what you feel, think, or you desire to do with your life or in your life. This is like, boom! No, that didn't hurt. I'm hard-headed. A believer thinks the church is a place where you go to hear God's Word. You came here today, I'm going to church because I'm going to hear God's Word. But he says a disciple looks at the church as a place where you learn to do what God's Word says. You're not just a hearer of the Word, but you are what? A doer. When you leave here, whatever the Lord speaks to you through this message, you leave here with a determination that I'm going to obey the Word of God. I'm going to do exactly what God told me to do through that crazy preacher up there in the platform. All right. Are you following me? If not, let me move around and get you sick. Psychedelic here, all right? A believer often serves God out of convenience. If it's convenient, I'll serve him. If it benefits me, I'll serve God. A disciple serves God out of deep conviction. A believer follows God as long as things are going well, things are going their way. A disciple follows Jesus regardless of the circumstances. A believer chooses their own path and asks God to bless it. I'm going to say that again. A believer chooses their own path and then comes along and says, God, bless me in what I'm doing. Bless me in this. Bless me, bless me, bless me. A disciple asks God to reveal the path and they follow it. Knowing as they're walking in God, they are already blessed. So for the next couple of weeks, this is what we're going to look at. And this is tough. I'm going to tell you, if it doesn't hurt, then you're asleep. If it doesn't hurt, then you're numb. If it doesn't hurt, you're in denial. I mean... Just me doing over this is hurting me. It's like, God, it really bits me in a place that you, I have to check all my motives. I have to check all my thoughts. What, what is driving me? Because I don't want to be just a believer. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as we look at the life of Jesus, I think it's all safe. I think we can all safely say, rather, that he had a very successful ministry, didn't he? Would anyone here deny that or say he really didn't? I mean, all just it all depends on how you base success, right? On a worldly scale, he probably didn't have because by the end of his life, he may have had only 150, 200 followers. But at one point, he had hundreds, if not thousands of people following him because why? He was feeding people. Remember the story? We all know the story. He fed 5,000 men plus their wife and children. He was raising the dead. He was healing the sick. He was sharing his heart, sharing the truth. He made, he made a relationship with God. He changed it from religion to relationship so that the common person could have a relationship with God. I mean, he did all this, and these people were saying, yes, yes, we believe, we're with you, we're following you. And they literally were following him all over Galilee, all over uh, that, that area, hearing him, wanting to see the miracles, and, and wanting him to feed them, and just, what is he going to do next? But then on occasion, Jesus would challenge them. He would raise the stakes and many would stop following him because it would become difficult. Matter of fact, in one place in the Bible, we're going to be taking communion. When Jesus says, you have to, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, what was their response? That's a difficult saying. And many walked away. But what he was doing, he was raising the stakes and he was trying to teach them and show them that there is a cost of being a disciple. You can believe and you can follow wherever he goes, but there's a cost of being a disciple because a believer does it until it's not convenient anymore, but a disciple does it regardless of what it costs them. Jesus wasn't in the crowd building business. 
He understood that he could not win the world with the crowd. He wasn't trying to build crowds. He was trying to build strong people. He was trying to take those who would really follow him and buy into the message. And he was trying to put within them the qualities of the things that they would need so that why? That when their life was at stake, they wouldn't give up the cause. They wouldn't walk away. They wouldn't give up sharing the message. He knew that if he could get people strong and changed from the inside out, that this world could be changed. And it was. And still is. It's, it's called discipleship. He would say things that would weed out the chaff from the wheat because in every crowd, there's chaff. I'm not here saying we do or do not. That is for you to decide whether you are wheat or you're chaff. But every crowd has chaff. So what we're about to read in Luke chapter 14, please turn to your Bibles. The scriptures will be up here, but I really want you to bring your Bibles with you as you come so you can mark these scriptures down and you can go back and study them later obviously we have our app you can go back and listen to me next week if you really are you know really having a hard time sleeping at night and um you know the notes are out there on the app if you want to follow along but i want you to follow along with me in luke chapter 14 verse 25 through 33 this is a little bit of a a long text but we're going to look at some stuff here that i think jesus is trying to tell us today Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone could, listen, now we don't know the context within the sense of was he just walking along and turned around and said, hey, everybody listen for just a minute. I've got some wise, something wise. To tell. We, we, we don't really know, but it's all, it's, you know, when you start reading this towards the end of Christ's life, it's like one story after another, but we, we don't necessarily know in some of them what the setting is, but it, it, all it says is there's a large crowd were traveling with Jesus. So he's traveling from place to place. And he suddenly turns to him and says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, life and wife, yeah, wife, that's not life, wife and child, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, I knew we'd get to life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And understand, we wear crosses as necklaces and jewelry and things like that. We have a beautiful one backlit on the wall. But to the hearer of what Jesus is saying, this is the tool of torture. It's a tool of death. It's the worst way to die. So understand in context what he, he's saying. Carry, carry, pick up that tool of, of pain and suffering and death, and you've got to follow me to be my disciple. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? It's a good idea. For if you laid the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and, waste, and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming after him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, in other words, count the cost. In the same way, what's, going, what, what's it going to cost you to be a disciple? Jesus is challenging us today. Those of you who do not give up everything you have, you have cannot be my disciple. Now, in this text, Jesus gives us three requirements to be a disciple. We're not going to focus on all of them, so just take a deep breath. But he says, you've got to hate your family. You've got to hate your own life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because that's the first one he gives us. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. I've already elaborated on what that means. And, of course, give everything up. Now, look, those are some high requirements. And I know someone in here today may say, but whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I raised my hand. I said a prayer. I didn't realize this was what was involved. But this is really what's involved if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many have sincerely prayed the prayer of salvation. And can I be honest, I'm so thankful that you have. But somewhere along the line, the church has done a bait and switch. And all we said, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're okay. And we, we've got to get back to the idea that that's not okay. There's more required than just believing in Jesus. Pastor, are you saying there's more required to go into heaven? I'm just reading what the Scripture says right here. And if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be one who follows Him and walks in His ways and talks 
the way that He desires us to talk and do. And if you want the promises of the Word of God, the very thing that everybody stands upon, then it's going to require you to take a shift in your life, and you're going to have to start living differently. I told you this is not going to be easy. What we have to understand is that salvation is just the doorway. Don't stop in the doorway. Keep moving forward. And that's what our goal here is Bear Creek. Everything we do, we, 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 we believe in this. We want people to beat God, but we're not satisfied when someone just comes to the altar and says a prayer. It breaks my heart when people come and the Holy Spirit ministers to them and they make a confession of faith and they never darken the doors of the church. They never get involved. That's not our goal. Our goal is to take them from that moment and help them find their freedom in their life, freedom from the past, freedom from the bondages and the addictions that, that sin has put upon them. We do that through small groups. Everything we do around here has to be done through these small groups. We cannot be relational in this room at from 10.30 to 2 o'clock every Sunday. That was for my friend Chuck. Chuck, that was for you, buddy. We, we can't. I can't necessarily teach what needs to be taught in an hour and a half or two hours, however long our service goes, on a Sunday morning. We want you to get involved with Sunday school on Sunday morning. We want, why, Pastor? So, you could, so our numbers look really great to the general office. I, that's why we want you to come. No. It's because we want you to grow in your knowledge. We want you then to join a small group during the week. Why, Pastor? Why? Because you can grow and build relationships there. We want your kids to be involved. That building should be full of children today. These five rows should be full of youth today. It's a shame. We need to get our kids, they need to be going to camp. Why? So that they could go from being a believer to being a disciple. And I promise you, parents, if your kids go from being a believer to being a disciple, your home is going to be more peaceful. It, that's why we do. Come, be a part of our Monday night prayer. Join us. Well, I don't know how to pray. We'll teach you how to pray. By the way, there's some nice things out there. I put some out there. The Lord's Prayer, if you have a hard time knowing how to pray, I've, there's a, something that Sister Dolores Hood gave me, and I made copies of it. It's out there. Get it. It's the Lord's Prayer. How to pray the Lord's Prayer. You can pray. It's just talking to the Lord. It's just having a conversation with Him. We want you to be a part of this. Wednesday night small group. Be a part of our fellowship. Come join us on a missions trip. Come on. Find your place to serve. Make this home. Get plugged into where you can make relationships and you can grow in your walk with the Lord. We want you to keep moving forward. When do you stop being a disciple? That's the question I asked myself a couple years ago. And the reality is you never stop being a disciple. You're always learning. Well, you're always learning. And how do you know that you're becoming a successful disciple? You ever thought about that? Well, Lord, how do, you, how do I know? I can tell you how you know when you become a successful disciple. Lord laid this in my heart years ago. It's when you start making disciples. When you grow in the Lord and your confidence in the Word, that you now can go to somebody else and say, Hey, I want to be your friend. I want to help you. I want to go along on this journey. You don't have to have 10 or 15 people to, to matter of fact, you don't need more than two or three to disciple the old pilgrim, the, 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 the pyramid scheme, right? Just get two. And let them get two. And then get two before long. Man, we're reaching people for the kingdom of God. Let me get back on my notes. We'll never get out of here. Being a disciple involves every part of you. It's more than just a prayer. It's saying to God, I count the cost. I'm willing to surrender everything I have and, and to you. Salvation is free. It's a wonderful gift. No man can be saved by the works. But what you have not been told, unfortunately, is for you to receive salvation, it's going to cost you everything in your life. For you to be a disciple of Christ, it's going to cost you everything you've dreamt about, everything you want to do, everything you own, everything that you are. It has to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you everything. And that's the truth. So before you decide to get on board, before you decide to make that step, count the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. There's no one foot, there's no hokey pokey. Y'all remember that sermon series I preached years ago? There's no one foot in and one foot out. No, it's all in or it's all out. It's, it, that's the way God designed it. There's no halfway. There's no fence line. Either you are or you're not. 
Either He's Lord or you're Lord. And how you determine that is how you live your life and what you do with your life. That is good. That's God. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So what's the first requirement? What does this look like? Well, Jesus tells us here in the Scripture, He gives us three things. We're just going to talk about the first one, and I'm going to give you three quick points. We're going to take communion and start our fast together. Jesus says you have to hate your family and even yourself. Now, a lot of people struggled with I think these people probably struggled with this. How many of y'all can say, I honestly know what that Jesus is saying there? I mean, some of us might be able to, but most people struggle. I'm not, what does he mean I got to hate? Doesn't that go against everything that he says elsewhere? It, yes, it does. That's, that's why we know that he's not necessarily being literal here. What we have to understand is that the language and the culture that he is, he is living in here, it, it, he's not being literal. The language is very expressive. And see, he, he, he does this in a lot of his parables. He goes to one extreme to the other extreme to show you the difference of what it looks like. So in this case, what Jesus is expressing is the gap between you and your family would be so big that it would seem like you hate them. Your love for God will be so great compared to your love for your husband, your wife, your children, and yes, your grandchildren, that it will appear like you don't even love them compared to loving God. See, that's what I'm saying. Our love or devotion to Jesus should be so strong that our love for family will look like hate in comparison to our compassion and love for Jesus. Jesus says, it will appear like you have abandoned your family just to follow me. It will look like you're so focused on Jesus that you're not going to worry about your family and the things of the world. What Jesus is saying is he has to be number one in your life. Number one. He's not fire insurance. He's number one. He's not something that you add to your life. He is number one. He's not a genie in the bottle or, 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 or one of these vending machines that dispenses candy and cookies and things that you go to just to get things from. He's got to be number one. He becomes your life, or better yet, your life becomes totally his. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to count the cost because he has to come before everything in your life. He doesn't want just an hour or two on Sunday morning. He doesn't want you just spending a few moments in prayer and reading two scripture verses in the morning. He doesn't want you to, to just serve for an hour or two during the week and give money to show that you're, that you're a good Christian. No, he doesn't want that. He wants everything you've got. Your body and your mind is his. Your career is his. Your family is his. Your time is his. Your money is his. Your talents belong to him. It all belongs to him because he paid the price for you. He paid the price for you. Who else has died for you? Nobody. Well, maybe a few of y'all had somebody. But most likely nobody else has died. Not in the sense that saved your life from, from eternity of suffering and shame and separation from God. See? So the first characteristics of someone who is living a disciple's life is that a disciple is passionately committed to Jesus. Jesus is first and the gap is so large between first place and second place is as if second place never showed up at the field that second place never showed up at the track that tomorrow night when when washington shows up that michigan doesn't even show up in the in the in on the field come on I know, I guess because of the loss of my father-in-law or maybe the shirt distracted you or maybe because the game was on Monday. No, my, nobody gave me a hard time about my team losing, but thank God that my life doesn't depend on whether Alabama wins or loses. Amen. Jesus is the one I depend on. Jesus is. So you may be thinking that it's a lot to ask. Isn't that a lot to ask? That I have to give everything to Jesus, but is it really since he gave everything for you? He gave it all for you. It amazes me how so much in this world demands that time of type of commitment. But the church has a hard time with that kind of commitment. The world demands that kind of commitment. Ask anybody who's been in the military. Brother Bill, they told you where you were going, didn't they? 
And when it was time to go somewhere else, they said, you're going somewhere else, didn't they? I'm a, I'm a military brat. They told my dad, every four years, you're moving. And guess what? We moved with him. He had no choice. They demanded that type of commitment from him. There's times where he ended up going off to be isolated. He served in a war in Vietnam. He had no choice in that matter. Why? Because that's what Uncle Sam, an uncle that I've, I have never met and does nothing but take my money, told my daddy he had to do. Corporate America is the same way. You want to get on the corporate ladder? You better be ready to give up your life. You're going to be spending 60, 70, 80 weeks, the hours a week serving, working, whatever. You're going to have to move. They're going to tell you, you want this job, this position. You're going to have to move. And guess what you do? You move. You're going to have to be in at this certain hour, and you're going to get, this has got to be done because while well, you're on salary, they don't care how many hours you put in. They just want the work done. We don't have a problem with that. Do we? Come on. Or how about when little Johnny or little Susie wants to be on the traveling softball or baseball team? You better be, you better don't have my wallet on. You better be ready to open up that wallet, fork out some money, and you're going to be day and night at that ballpark or at that dance place or wherever they're practicing, and you're going to be spending money on staying in this motel. You're traveling around the world. That's what you want little Johnny and little Sally to be on that team. That's what you're going to do because why? They demand it. Guess what you do? You do it. But yet we have a problem with what Jesus is demanding of us, commanding of us. I, last time I saw a baseball team, like I said, my football team ain't getting me into heaven. You guys, I, this is my corporate environment. You're not getting me into heaven. Come on. So why do we shun at the fact that Jesus then, you know what? Compared to me, your love for everybody else should look like hate. Your time belongs to me. When I tell you you need to be doing something in my word, that's what you need to be doing. And what you ought not be doing, you shouldn't be doing. Oh, but God, you have grace. Well, that is. He does. But His grace is there to help us to grow in a relationship with Him so that we don't... You should be getting to a point in your life that you don't use God's grace anymore in that way. Thank God he has unlimited grace. Thank God. But that's not where he wants you. He wants you to get the bottle out of your mouth. And he wants you to grow in the Lord. There's so many things that demand that level of commitment. And so does Jesus. He says, I must be first. And the gap between me and second can't be close. He wants us passionately committed to him. Think about the things that you're passionately committed to. I won't go down. We talked about career. You know, your favorite sports team. We all know that Alabama's the greatest team ever in the history of college football. You know I'm joking. You know I'm joking. But let's face it. I've got Alabama garb. Some of you have your favorite team tattooed on your body somewhere. Please don't show us now. Yeah. How about hunting? How much time, money do we spend on gear, bullets, rifles? I got to, I mean, I better not say that. The government may be listening. I won't tell you that. But anyways, yeah. The money, everything, the dogs, giving up your time. Saturdays. Some of y'all even give up Sundays to go hunt. Shame on you. If I can't go, you shouldn't be able to go. I could talk about fishing in the same way. How about those grandkids? Oh, pastor, you done gone to meddling in my business. Think about what we do for our grandkids. I don't know. I've got a grand pug, and I do all kinds of things for him. Think about the time we spend, the things we give them, the money we spend on our grandkids. Passionately committed. Tell them it's going to be just a little bit longer. And listen, I want you to understand something. When I mention those things, and I could, I could spend hours talking about the things that we commit ourselves to that we're passionate about, but Jesus is not saying those things are wrong. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I hunt. I fish. Y'all require me to be here on Sunday morning, so I'm here. Can I tell you I require you to be here, but that's, that's, a, that's a message for another time. Yeah, you know I'm passionate about my sports. It's not that Jesus is saying those things are wrong. He would want you to be a good influence in your grandkids. He would want you to spoil them. That's what grandparents are supposed to do. 
He's not saying they're wrong, but what he's saying is this, your commitment, your devotion, your dedication to him compared to them and those things should look like you hate them. And it should be that kind of gap between the two. See. So what would it look like? And this year, we decided we are going to trade the things that we are passionate about in this earth and this world for passion for God. What? How would your life change? How would this church change? What if every Sunday morning we showed up with a passion for God that we worship the Lord through abandonment? Well, we first came to Sunday school prepared because we've read our lesson. I know Brother Glenn would be amening me right now because he's always on his class about being prepared. But we come in here to worship the Lord. We leave here with the passion for the things of God, that we live our lives as Christ would have us live our lives. How would that change if we spent, if we became more passionate about the Word of God and spent more time in it than we do other things, whether it's social media or TV or whatever? That passion that passion about reaching the lost. See, what I've come to understand is passion is what motivates you to, be gone, to go beyond average living. When you're passionate about something, you want to go beyond the average. You're passionate, you're learning, you're working on it. See? Brian, I'm going to use you an example today. I didn't bring it in there, should have. I gave him a bunch of baseball cards. By the way, if you want some baseball cards, come see me. They're all free. I got football too, hockey and basketball. All right? And I gave him a bunch of baseball cards. And he found some commons. I won't go into why they're commons, but they're not worth anything. He has a passion for arts. He's an artsy-fartsy guy. He really is. And he took these cards and he painted them and changed them. And they're beautiful. That's a passion. That's a passion, see? What if we took those kind of things? He went from ordinary right there to he did something really cool in those cards. Well, can you give me 10 more minutes? Because there's three things. I don't want to just put this out there about being a compassionate follower committed to Christ. Because often when we do that, we say, well, how do I know? We all want to know, right? And so as I was praying over this and reading that book and doing some other study, I, I had a bunch of them, but I don't, I don't want to belabor the point. I came down to basically three things that are indicators, three major things that are indicators that your life, in your life, you are passionately committed to Christ. Here's the first one, and I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to cut some stuff out. You guys got to pay attention back there because the hour's getting late. First thing is you want to please God more than people. That's a toughie in our culture, isn't it? Pleasing God more than people. I'm a people pleaser. Right now, some of you look like you're hot. I want to go over and turn the AC on. Some of y'all look like you're cold, and I want to go turn the heat up. And, and I'll be honest, some of y'all look like spit because you're just lukewarm. But anyway, <coughs> so I want to get a fan and a heater. I want, I want to please, listen, I'm not a dictator. I'm really not. I'm a shepherd. I want to please you. And, and sometimes that's the way we become. We, we, we want to be people pleasers. But when you become a disciple, you put Jesus first. And your goal is to please Him more than people. And that can be tough sometimes. Let's be honest. That can, that can be tough sometimes. Because when you do this, guess what happens? People make fun of you and people shun you, don't they? If they don't understand. right? You go to, hey, let's go hunting this Sunday morning. Well, I can't. i got to go to church. Well, what time do you get out of church? Well, it depends on how long-winded the pastor is. You know, this guy's a... Well, you know, and, and, and before you know it, they're making fun of you because you go to church on Sundays and you're not hunting or fishing. Or you go to church how many hours a week? Now, I don't get asked that because this is my job, right? But yeah. Or you give how much to the church? I never forget when Sherry and I bought our first house over in Linhaven. We At that time, you had to fill out paperwork, right? And you had to list all your debts. And I put on there, not as a debt, but as an expense, how much we gave monthly and tithe. And the loan officer says, you give how much to the church every month? Yes, ma'am, I do. Well, if we adjust this and you don't give as much, I says, ma'am, that is not a compromise for me. She couldn't believe that I gave that much money. Man, you owe the church that much? No, I freely give to the church. You know, the pressure on our young people to have sex today. 
outside of marriage. And there's so many of our young people that face this, and they're saying, oh, praise God. They're saying, no, and they're being made fun of, or they're losing their boyfriend or their girlfriend because why? They're putting pressure. They don't understand, but there is a commitment that says, Jesus is first, I'm following him, and I'm not following you. And let me say this, young ladies and young men, because the pressure's on men as much as ladies. If there's somebody in your life that says they love you and they can't wait until you get married to have sex with them, you don't need to begin considering marrying that man or woman. Trust me. Oh, it's tough to wait. It is. It is tough to wait. But it's being a committed disciple of Christ. World will see this and not understand it, so they pick on us and they make fun of us. They'll put pressure on you to give in, and sometimes they'll even leave you out, and they just say you're weird. How, how? Listen, I'm not here to talk politics, but the Speaker of the House, the Republican Speaker of the House, was made fun of because him and his son decided both to wear purity rings. They made a decision, and they also were going to be accountability to each other for watching porn, that they're going to have an app on their phone that if one of them goes and, and looks at something they ought not to, it notifies the other person. And the media and the talk shows at night make fun of this guy. He's a believer. He's a disciple of Christ. He's a follower. He's committed. Notice what Luke 2.26 says in the message version. I like the message version on this scripture. It says, there's trouble ahead when you live out for the approval of others. There is trouble ahead when you live your life to please other people. Say what flatters them. Do what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. And we're here to live out the truth because that's what sets you free. Is the truth. See? Don't get into the business of pleasing people. It only leads to trouble. So this morning, could you say your most important relationship is the one you have with Jesus? Is that the most important? This is rhetorical. I'm not looking for hands. I'm not for yes, no. I'm just saying, listen, as the Holy Spirit has anointed me to speak this morning, you're attentive to it and you're listening to it. Can you say that your relationship is more important than any other one? Is the gap of your commitment and love for him make it look like you hate your wife or you hate your husband or you hate X, Y, and Z? Because that's what he says you have to do and be to be a disciple. Could you say you're living your life for the approval of God over the approval of others? Are you living your life to please God over pleasing people? Does your life reflect that, that he is the most important thing in your life? This is a sign that you're passionately committed to Jesus, if you could say yes to those things. Secondly, pick up the page. When you're passionately committed, this is a sign that you're passionately committed. You start, you start following Jesus regardless of the cost. Reality of it is, you don't count the cost. You, the Bible says count the cost, but you realize there's no cost that's too great to follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ. When you're passionately committed to Jesus, you will say, I will follow you no matter the cost. Look what it says in Luke 14, back in 14, 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You've got to pick up the torture. You've got to deny the flesh is what he's saying. You've got to go when Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass for me in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he comes back and he says, no, Lord, not, your, not my will, but your will. That's what he's talking about. He literally took up his cross there in Gethsemane that night in a spiritual, emotional way and said, I'm headed to the cross because I know this is what God's will is for my life. He says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you, you have cannot be my disciples. You can't be a disciple unless you pick up your cross and follow. Unless you go after Jesus, you cannot be a disciple unless you give up everything. What he's talking about is all in. And now real quick, I'm just going to mention some stories. Think about the Bible stories that you've all been taught and heard preached. The all in moments, all right? Esther, all in. If she didn't go before the king, even though it could cost her her life, her people would have been annihilated there in, 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 in Babylon, Persia. Right? She says, nonetheless, if I perish, I perish. I'm going in. By the way, that, pre, that was preceded by three days of total fasting, if you want to, if you look back at that story. Okay. Just saying, we're in the time of fasting. There's power there. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer, basically, in the service of the king. And, and, and he hears about the walls of Jerusalem being torn down. His heart was rent, and he was hurting. But if he goes before the king with a sad face or downcast face, the king could kick him out or even kill him. And he said, but nonetheless... I'm going before and I'm going to let the king know where my heart's at because I, he wanted to go rebuild the walls and he did that. He was an all-in guy. Abraham. God says, Abraham, Abram, Abram, 
I want you to leave the country you're living in and go. Where am I going? Don't worry about it. Just go. I'll tell you where. When you get there, you'll know. But just go. That's an all-in. That means I've got to give up my land. I've got to give up all these things I can't take with me. Take my family, I mean, and go. That's, that's an all-in moment, right? Peter, get out of the boat. Peter, feed my sheep. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life. But if you love me, if you're committed to me, if you're compassionate, you have that passionate commitment to me, you're going to do it even though it's going to cost you your life. Best-selling author Randy Alcorn says this, following Jesus is more than nodding a head, raising a hand, signing a card, or repeating a prayer. Though someone coming to Christ, any of those, following Jesus is not returning to life as usual, with the only difference being that we're now going to heaven. No. Following Jesus is abandoning trust in ourselves, surrendering all we have to Him. This and nothing less is discipleship. Saying yes to God, I will follow you no matter what the cost. There's a word that we've lost in the church vocabulary in America, and that's the word regardless. So much today we say, I'll follow you, Lord, until. Until what you're telling me to do is not what I want to do. Or until you're telling me where I go is not where I want to go. Or until what you're telling me to do is too hard or too inconvenient. But I'm here to tell you today, church, if you're a disciple you don't count the cost. You said, Lord, I go and do regardless of what you tell me I need to go and do. I'll give up everything regardless of what you demand of me. That is discipleship. It's an all-in regardless. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow. We're not bowing to you. You're crazy. You're going to bow or you're going to die. I ain't worried about dying. We're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Well, you know what? Our God will protect us. But even if he don't, we're not going to bow to you. We're going to serve him. Whether he answers my prayer or not, I'm going to serve him. I'm committed to him. Whether his plans are what I want to do or not, I'm going to serve him. See? I'll serve him until, no, you serve him regardless. Third thing, third thing. When you're passionately committed to Jesus, everything in your life becomes, you ready? Extraordinary. Why? Why does it become extraordinary? Can I tell you why? It's not because God is going to do extraordinary things in your life, although He will. It's because when you are a committed follower of Christ, hear me, you will not settle for ordinary. Everything in your life, your walk with God will not be ordinary. How you treat your family will not be ordinary. How you use your resources will not be ordinary. You won't show up to church, sorry folks, five minutes after church starts. You're going to get here ten minutes before church starts. Guess what? You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. You want to get up front. You want to be in the splash zone. Now, I'm not saying that to be con condemning anyone. See, I'm, I'm just saying, the, you're not going to be ordinary. You're going to be extraordinary. You won't, you won't settle for being just an ordinary follower of Jesus. See, This is what Paul writes in Romans, the book of Romans. Again, I like the way the message you're going to have the message up on the screen. You can, you can look at it in your NIV, King, King JV, what have you. But I like the way this reads. So Paul's saying this. He says, so what I want you to do, the anointing is upon him, the Holy Spirit's leading him to write this letter to Rome. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you, it depends on God, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you could do for Him. You want to help God out? Quit being a pain. Quit being in trouble. Quit. <laughs> right? I know it sounds silly, but you know, it's kind of like when my boys are little. Y'all quit making a mess. Just go sit in the corner and quit making a mess. I have to clean up, right? All right. So just, just embrace what God's doing for you is the best thing you could do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into whatever, what, without even thinking. Man, that's a problem in the church today. Instead, fix your attention on God. Be a compassionate follower. You'll be changed from the inside out. Ready, readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down, isn't that true? To, a, to its level of immaturity. Oh my goodness, this is like slapping us in the face. It should be. 
as the American church, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now think about your life right now. Which of these two descriptions describe you? This is, this is rhetorical. Are you living an extraordinary life? Or are you living an ordinary life? Come on. Are you just fitting in? Are you just being like everybody else? Do you wake up in the morning and dread, well, here I go again off to work? Or do you say, man, I can't wait for what God has in store? That's the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. I could keep talking. Do you, do you get up and just get on social media and see what's happening like everybody else seems to do in the world? Or do you have an extraordinary, not, not against social media, I'm just saying, what, 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 what kind of life are you living you live your life from paycheck to paycheck? Why? God wants to bless you. Go from living ordinary to extraordinary. I'm not saying he wants everybody rich, but he wants to bless you. He doesn't want you living paycheck to paycheck. For most of us, if we just quit spending money and get out of debt, we wouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck. But that's a message for another time. That's also walking as an obedient disciple of God. But we will, we, that's another time. And I know I'm beating you up right now. And I need to... Land this plane, and, and we are. We're right here. The, I see the lights on the runway. I see the, the taxi coming in. What will your life be like in 2024? Will it be a repeat of 2023? Well, for some of us, that may not be too good. For some of us, that may be wonderful. But what do you see, or have you even thought about it? Are you just, well, one more day, one more day, one more day. I'm not taking that step. Are you really, how can my life in 2024 be extraordinary? When you become, when you become passionately committed follower of Christ, your life becomes extraordinary. And Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people bear creek you're chosen by god oh come on come on you're you're chosen you're chosen generation you think you chose him uh he chose you he chose you and he invites you into a relationship with him that goes from being ordinary to extraordinary you are a royal priest do you live like your royalty? Now, I don't mean like them bunch of heathens out there that live an elaborate lifestyle and, and, and a sinful. I'm talking about, do you live as if the, the royal blood of Jesus is pumping through your veins? Do you live with the understanding of who your daddy is, who your father is? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has chosen you. He's adopted you. You are a royal priesthood which means as a priest you can boldly go before the throne of God and you can make your needs known you can go in there and make sacrifice for yourself in the form of worship you are a royal priesthood oh he's called us to be a holy nation what does that mean we are a holy kingdom kingdom you're a member of the kingdom of God not a not a citizen of the United States, as wonderful as that is. But he's called you to be part of his holy kingdom. God's special possession. He owns you. As Andy and Toy Story, his name was found on the boot of, of uh, what's that cowboy's name? Woody. Woody, right, right there, and Buzz. He owns you. But his name isn't written on your foot. It's written across your heart. He owns you. Oh, hallelujah. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. The people of God, we don't blend in. Come on, we don't fit in. The people of God, we stand out because why? We are extraordinary. Extraordinary. You have extraordinary heart for God and you have extraordinary fervor fervor i'll get that word out for the thank you fervor for the things of god you don't settle for second best you only settle for god's best you have an extraordinary future you have an extraordinary witness you have an extraordinary job and career because you're an extraordinary employee or employer you're an extraordinary wife or husband 
And you have an extraordinary marriage because you are an extraordinary wife and husband or husband. You have extraordinary kids. Why? <coughs> because you're extraordinary parents, see. Extraordinary. You have extraordinary church family. We have an extraordinary church. We have extraordinary pets. Come on, I do. Come on. We have extraordinary pets, right? God multiplies your life because you are extraordinary. So what would it look like in this year or next year at this time if all of us decided that this year was not going to be an ordinary year? Up your mind, you've made, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to gain weight. It depends on where you're at on the spectrum. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to stop spending money. Good luck. You know, I think I'm going to make. No, I won't tell you what. No, I'm just joking. I need to land a plane. I know I do. I need to. But by the time we get to December 31st of this year, that we look back on 2024 and comment on how extraordinary this year has been. That we can look back at the things that needed to change in our lives and we had the strength to make those changes. The things we need to let go of, we had the strength and we walked in obedience as disciples to let go of those things. That, and then we find ourselves set free. And we, we live in that reality of freedom in Christ. That's my prayer for us. This is just the beginning of a couple weeks series on what does it mean to be a disciple and walk in the disciples way and it's going to be challenging but it begins today with you making up in your mind that I am not going to approach my life my walk anything in my life as ordinary but I am going to be compassionate or passionately committed to Christ I'm going to be so in love with Jesus that it looks like I hate everybody else And as you do, you'll stop pleasing people. You'll stop. You really won't count the cost. You're going to say, regardless, I, once you make that step, I'm going to do it. And what will happen is, hear me, hear me. I promise you, as God is my witness, your life will go from ordinary to extraordinary. And you'll live in the promises and, and the blessings of the Lord. How many of y'all want that? I can't get that to you. I can't do it for you. I can't. I can lead you. I can bring you to the, well, I was going to say the trough, but that may be a bad word analogy. I can bring you to the table, so to speak, and put the food before you. But you have to be the partaker of it. You have to, you have to take even today, because I saw some eyes go up and I said some things. You're going to have to take the meat and spit out the bones. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of meat in this message today. There's a lot of meat in this message today. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. And as they do, our ushers are going to come forward. What we're going to do as we remember the Lord as we begin, we're going to begin our fast. You may have already began it this morning as I have, but this is kind of the official us coming together. And we're going to honor the Lord and remembering what he's done for us. And we will end it in 21 days on a Sunday. We'll end it, break the fast with communion as well. I want to reiterate once again, please join me on this journey. I didn't get to preach on fasting last week, and I'm not going to now, so take a deep breath. Do your research. Join me. Join me in prayer. Plenty of tools. Prayer changes things. How many of y'all believe prayer changes things? You know what prayer changes more than anything else? me not your prayers changing me but your prayers change you i know you want your prayers to change me too i'll, I'll cooperate yeah i can't have another 2023 i can't god's got plans for me he's got plans for you he's got plans for us all we have to do is stay passionate committed to him hearing his voice and following where he leads giving up what needs to be given up taking up what needs to be taken up amen we do that we get this place next year we're going to say lord let us have another year like 2024 
Amen. We're going to worship and take communion together in just a moment. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.